Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, Nico and I interview Srinath Seti, principal researcher at Microsoft Research and the author of Spartan, Nova, Supernova, Hypernova, and many more works. We talk about his early research that led him to working on SNARKs, the work he did on folding schemes, some check protocols, and what he thinks is next for the ZK space. Nova-style accumulation schemes seem to be the talk of the town at the moment, so it was great to finally get a chance to meet the author of a lot of this work. Now, before we kick off, I do want to direct you to the ZK Jobs Board. There you'll find jobs from top teams working in ZK. So if you're looking for your next job opportunity, be sure to check it out. And if you're looking to find great talent, be sure to add your job to the Jobs Board today. Now, Tanya will share a little bit about this week's sponsor. Zero knowledge is changing the world. And until now, building ZK applications meant learning new chain-specific languages and complex cryptography. But not anymore. With SnarkyJS, the easiest use of ZK SDK, developers can add the magic of ZK to their apps using TypeScript. Whether you're targeting Mina, the leading ZK blockchain, or off-chain applications, SnarkyJS from O of One Labs has you covered. With support from infinite recursion, in-browsing proving, and so much more, the full power of ZK is available to everyone. Visit snarkyjs.o1labs.org to get started. You can also find the link in our show notes. And now, here's our episode. Today, we're here with Srinath Sethi, Principal Researcher at Microsoft Research. Welcome to the show, Srinath. Thank you, Anna, uh, for inviting me here. It's great to be here and uh, talk about, uh, I guess, the NOAA line of work. <laughs> Amazing. I've also invited Nico to join us. Hi, Nico. Hi. Nico, you were recently on the ZK Hack, ZK Summit episode, and we had actually in that episode discussed Sangria, the work that you did, which uses similar techniques, similar folding techniques, but in a different context. And so, yeah, I asked you to join this episode to also help us dig into the topic. A lot has changed since uh, ZK Hack, ZK Summit, so very excited for this discussion. Yeah. I want to make a little side note, too. This episode came about because... I mean, I've just for the last month or so been immersed in Nova conversations and Nova workshops. I also saw Ariel Gabizon get Nova pilled by Justin Drake over dinner just a few weeks ago. And <laughs> we also had actually a listener, Joseph, who had emailed us a few months ago asking us to bring you on. So a little shout out to Joseph for that tip. And we're really happy to be able to do this episode. I think as a starting point, Srinath, let's learn a little bit about you. How did you get to be working on ZK topics? Okay, so I'm going to start with using ZK uh, to mean something broader, which includes all kinds of succinct arguments where there's a proof uh, that is small and quick to verify. Uh, So it all began when I started, at least my journey into this area started uh, in my grad school, uh, where I started working on this system it's a storage system and we wanted to run it in a cloud, uh, but we wanted the guarantee that even if the storage service is compromised, the clients or the customers of the service can get some security guarantees and liveness guarantees from the system. So we wrote a paper about the system called Depot. This was back in 2010. And as a result of working in this project, I was thinking about how to sort of broaden this kind of work. Uh, to also cover arbitrary computations. For example, let's say there is a cloud service and the customers offload some sort of computation to the cloud. This could be a MapReduce job or it could be a database that executes some types of transactions. And we want a guarantee that the cloud service cannot cheat. So in particular, it should be able to prove that it actually executed what it claims to execute. So this sort of made us to explore this notion of probabilistically checkable proofs. So we started looking into this area. At the time, there were no implementations of this uh, machinery. So it was all in theory paper. So we sort of uh, asked this question, can we actually implement this and use it in practice? So it turned out that uh, there were a lot of theoretical work, like over many decades. 
But if you look at the constructions, they sort of had these two properties. One of them was they are asymptotically efficient, but they had gigantic constants. Mm. Or they were asymptotically, I guess, uh, not as efficient, but they had relatively smaller constants. So either of them was not a good starting point to implement. And they're also very, very complicated to even uh, write uh, the algorithm and implement it in code. So that's what, that was actually the starting point of my PhD work. At that time, we're talking 2010, when you talk about this probabilistic proof work, you weren't looking at snarks yet, were you? Uh, so it, it wasn't really, I guess, uh, the name snark didn't exist back then. Okay. Uh, so, but if you look at this probabilistically checkable proofs, uh, they are very long proofs, but you can't send them to the verifier. So... The prover would commit to such long proofs using something like a Merkle tree, and then the verifier uh, checks some parts of this probabilistically checkable proof. So there was an interactive protocol for doing this, and then it was also turned non-interactive. So the SNARK protocol existed, but the term SNARK did not exist back then. Okay, but was this proto-SNARKs then? Were you kind of like wor were you working alongside the same work that became SNARKs? Yes. So we sort of started exploring implementations of this. Uh, PCP-based uh, arguments, but it was very difficult to implement. In fact, if you estimate the cost of doing this, it would take trillions of years to just oh. prove even simple <laughs> statement. So we spent so much time digging into this theory. Then we came across this other work, which was published in 2007. So this was also based on PCPs, but it was based on something called linear PCPs. Mm. Uh, so these are PCPs that are sort of uh, also used in the, uh, the other PCPs, which are also sometimes called short PCPs because they are asymptotically short. But they are used as a first step to constructing the more efficient or more asymptotically efficient PCPs. So these linear PCPs are, like if you write it out, they're exponentially large. Uh, but the insight in this uh, 2007 paper was that you can commit to that exponentially sized PCP with some polynomial work. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can have the verifier query this PCP at some points and then do its checks. So this approach was actually very simple because it used a, a simple uh, PCP. And the cryptographic machinery was also somewhat simple. It was based on additively homomorphic encryption. So it sort of uh, served as a good point for us to implement and also optimize. Is this the line of work that eventually culminates with GROSS-16? Yes, exactly. So what happened was, uh, so this um, the linear PCP-based succinct argument, so at least the, the IKO07, which is the paper that uh, we started building, and the system that we built was called Pepper. So this, uh, this first version was interactive. So it had two rounds of interaction. So the prover sent something, the verifier asks some question, and then the prover sends the answer, and there is one more round of interaction. And it was all based on standard cryptographic primitives. So actually, there was one more downside to this uh, approach, which is uh, this: the prover's work in this construction is quadratic in the size of the circuit. So in this work, Pepper, we sort of uh, try to uh, mitigate this problem, at least for some computations. For example, if you had a structured computations like matrix multiplication or some polynomial evaluation, we were able to avoid this quadratic blow up. And then we were, as uh, like as follow-up work, we were exploring this um, a way to do this automatically, where can we uh, automatically build this linear PCPs that don't have this asymptotic overhead or the quadratic cost. Then what happened was there was this breakthrough work by GGPR. This was back in 2012 uh, that introduced uh, uh, a snark that had a quasi-linear prover for all computations. But the snark was described uh, as a, a sort of a monolithic object. And then one of the observations that we made, because we had already started working in this linear PCP-based uh, arguments, what we uh, sort of realized was there was actually a linear PCP inside this GGPR. Uh, so we uh, did two things there. One was we sort of separated um, the constraint system that's used inside GGPR and also show that there is a linear PCP inside this construction. And then we combine that linear PCP with the uh, cryptographic machinery that was inside this pepper. 
we wrote another paper called Zatar based on this work. Uh, and then eventually there are like, I guess, refinements to GGPR that led to Growth16 uh, and all of that was non-interactive. The works that I did was interactive, uh, but based on standard cryptographic assumptions. So for avid listeners of the podcast, this is right in chapter one of uh, Ariel's Snark trilogy. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just recently did a three. Well, Ariel gave us sort of a chapter by chapter history of snarks. And this is actually very this this episode, it might be good to listen to in tandem to sort of map it. Srinath, I want to ask you, as you were doing this work, were you already at Microsoft? No, this was uh, I was doing my PhD at UT Austin. OK, uh, so this was between 2010 and 2012. So when did you join Microsoft? Yeah, I joined Microsoft end of 2014. Okay. Um, so by then already there was GGPR, uh, there, I guess, Zotar uh, paper was written, Pinocchio paper was written. Oh, yeah. And there were also other papers that we had written in between. What was the step to Microsoft? Were they building out some sort of cryptography? Did they Did they already have a cryptography, I don't know, institute or like part of their company? It, like, I'm just kind of curious, like, what was the draw to Microsoft? What kind of work were you seeing yourself doing there? So Microsoft Research works on a broad range of topics in computer science and also beyond. As a, as a grad student working in this computer science, this was a natural place for me to go mm -hmm. and uh, continue my research uh, uh, because there was potentially uh, applications to cloud computing uh, and other forms of computing uh, uh, based on my work. Did they have a focus on snarks or were you kind of bringing that into the org? Was there anyone else there working on ZK stuff? Yes. So there are a lot of other researchers uh, who worked on um, interactive proofs. They were already working at Microsoft Research. Okay. So then tell me a little bit about the work you did there. Like what kind of research? And I mean, we definitely want to get to Nova, um, but what kind of maybe led to Nova in your time there? Yeah, so, so when I joined Microsoft Research, I also spent a little bit of time on doing formal verification of uh, distributed systems and oh. cryptographic algorithms. But then at some point, I started working on this system called SPICE. So the goal of SPICE was to sort of continue the work that I was doing back in grad school, but try to do it in a much more uh, large-scale manner, where we wanted to run a concurrent system in the cloud but have that system produce a proof that it was actually executing all the transactions in a succinct manner. So this was a paper that we wrote back in 2018, uh, where you can run a concurrent program or a system that executes different transactions concurrently. And then there is a succinct proof. Internally, it uses Growth16, but it uh, requires new techniques to uh, both uh, represent state and also execute transactions in a concurrent manner and in parallel. So we also wrote another paper called Piperin. This has a timestamp of 2020, but it actually happened around right after the SPICE paper was published. Mm. The goal of this Piperin was to uh, use this SPICE, uh, but in a blockchain context. So uh, what we wanted to do was execute these transactions in the cloud, but to verify the execution on the blockchain by producing a succinct proof. Uh, and this, I guess, um, there are, around the same time, there are also discussions in the Ethereum community around rollups. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's sort of, I think, one of those academic papers that described how to do this off-chain execution and then verify on the blockchain. Uh, and there was one uh, property that we achieved in this papering, which is... Uh, uh, to provide liveness. Uh, so even if this off-chain entity goes away, there is a way to recover the funds or tokens that were present in the off-chain system without really trusting this off-chain system. I guess now a lot of this might sound obvious because everyone, every system, I suppose, has this kind of functionality. Uh, but back then, I think it was one of those properties. Uh, that Hindsight wasn't. Is, is always twenty twenty, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I had a question, actually, because you're mentioning academia and academic papers. And I sort of get the sense that your position is kind of at the intersection of industry, Microsoft Research, and academia. Is that actually what's happening? Or do you think you're more of an academic? Where would you situate yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I sort of think of myself as a, a person who works at the intersection of two different fields. One of them is this uh, systems or distributed systems, and the other is cryptography. 
so what I, what I mean by this is uh, I not only work on uh, the theoretical aspects, but I also work on the practical aspects where uh, I implement the algorithms, build it in the context of an application, evaluate it, and uh, it sort of goes both ways. So the theoretical work is inspired by the systems work, and sometimes the systems work is inspired from the theoretical work. But going back to Nico's question, do you see yourself as academic or industry? Do you have still a connection to the school, or did you make the full shift over to industry? Uh, so Microsoft Research sort of operates in both uh, worlds. On the one side, uh, we do research, but on the other side, we're also uh, a company, like we are part of a larger company. So there is uh, a blend of uh, both the academic side of things and also industrial side of things. So Nice. Let's move into the topic of the day, Nova. And I say Nova, which is like the group of Novas, because there's now a few papers around this topic. Tell us a little bit about like what inspired Nova. Where does this idea come from and what is it doing? Yeah, so so one of the uh, things that uh, I always focused on in my work was to uh, drive down the prover's costs. So we want this proof generation cost to be as low as possible. And this has always been a thorny problem going back to uh, uh, 2010 or even before, where the cost of producing this proof has always been very high. So uh, when I worked on the systems like Spice and Piprene, uh, one of the patterns there was that the same kind of computation was executed over and over again. Uh, for example, if there is a batch of transactions, for every transaction, the prover sort of has to do the same thing. So uh, one of the motivations for this NOVA work was to, uh, can we, uh, the question was, can we leverage this pattern and speed up the prover substantially? This led us to think about a way to uh, compress the work that happens in two separate transactions into one, mm -hmm. which eventually led to the creation of folding schemes. Are folding schemes sort of the result? Like, is does it follow the idea of recursion? Or would you say it's like a different kind of compression? Is it like working at a different level? Oh, this, this entire uh, line of work was definitely inspired by other projects that try to uh, do better recursion, like construct better recursive snarks, most notably the Halo line of work. Okay. So in Halo, if uh, the verifier circuit, the circuit that verifies proof of a prior statement, performs some checks, and then it defers some expensive parts of it to the future. Mm -hmm. So in Nova, what it's doing is it does not produce a, a snark, Instead, it's able to fold statements at the, the level of a statement itself, uh, where the prover commits to the, uh, the witness, and then it runs this simple or inexpensive protocol to combine two statements into one. But Halo didn't do folding, right? Was it doing the compression part at kind of almost like a different point in the operation? Yes. So, so if you look at, uh, I guess, uh, the internals of the verifier, there is some amount of folding that's going on in terms of uh, the inner product statements. So it, it is doing folding, uh, but at a, a, a lower level of abstraction. It writes out the proof, and then while verifying this proof, it folds certain steps in the verification. Is that Halo or is that a Nova? Oh, this was Halo. That's Halo. Halo was doing that. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, the way I like to see Halo is you do most of the verifier's work. You get down to polynomials. And rather than checking uh, your polynomial commitments, you defer that to later. So what you are folding is claims about polynomials. You're like, oh, I have all these evaluations, all these commitments. I don't know if they match. We'll see that much later. And this is Halo, not Halo 2? Or are we kind of just grouping Halo work into one? So we're grouping them together because they, they sort of work uh, pretty much in the same way. <laughs> Got it. So kind of moving towards this folding thing, though, what you said when you started to describe it was the fact that all of these operations are similar or like there's a similarity in what you're actually able to fold together. Would you say that this was inspired because rollups had kind of taken off this idea for and, and as I understand it, those have that property, which it's repetitive and, and consistent? Yes, exactly. I think uh, uh, if you look at um, the large-scale statements that uh, I think people want to prove today, I think most of them have some amount of structure to them. 
And maybe explain what that means. Like, and you can see I'm struggling a little bit to say this, but it's like, what's similar? <laughs> yeah, like, I know that there's a similarity and there, there's these things that are similar to each other, but what exactly does this data look like? Let's take the simple example of a rollup that's just doing some payment transactions. Okay. For a batch of transactions, if you look at the circuit, it takes one transaction and then maybe checks some balances, uh, updates state. And then it goes to the next transaction. It does the same thing. So mm -hmm. if you look at this circuit for executing a batch, uh, it consists of a sequence of sub-circuits where each of those sub-circuits are the same. So you're saying, though, in a context like this, Nova is useful. But is it compressing multiple actions together in a folding sequence? Or is it like compressing steps that are coming one after another? Yes. So, so Nova uh, targets uh, what's what we call a sequential computation. So, let's say you have a a program uh, where at each step uh, you execute some function f or some circuit c, uh, and in the next step you execute the same thing, maybe with different inputs, potentially taking inputs from the previous step. So, uh, it targets this kind of sequential computation. Cool. So, I guess a little comparison question here, because. So this is what a VM does, right? The virtual machine, it has a, a step function and it applies it many, many times. So, so far people have been designing VMs inside Starks, right? Because with each row of your Stark, you have a step of your VM. We could also do this with Nova, right? With steps of recursion, I guess. Do you have any sort of comparison between these two methods? Maybe some back of the envelope calculations? Yeah, I think they, they sort of both target a similar computational model where there is uh, uh, same sub-circuits that are executed. I guess uh, one difference might be that with NOVA, because it's a recursive proof system uh, and it also provides low recursion overheads, uh, you're able to do this in an incremental fashion where let's say you executed this computation for n steps, and now you can take the proof produced at the end of that n step and update it with more steps and produce a proof for the updated computation. Whereas with Starks, you can do the same thing, but first you have to unroll all the steps of the computation, produce a proof. Uh, but then if you have to continue executing, then you need something called, something people refer to as a recursive Stark. So more flexibility and I guess less prover work in the end? Justin Drake had this slide that sort of shows this bifurcation in Snarks. Like now we have this curve-based uh, arguments like Nova, and then there is this hash-based arguments. One of those examples might be this fry-based snarks like mm. Starks. So there is, I think, now this two lines of work. Uh, I, I think uh, there is more work needed to understand the trade-offs. But at a, I guess in a nutshell, uh, Nova uh, provides inexpensive recursion. I wanted to talk a, a bit more about the internals of Nova because we've We've mentioned uh, this folding idea of this repeated structure. Uh, what else goes into Nova? Is there, I guess, a snark, uh, an arithmetization? Yes. So, uh, so in Nova itself, we uh, focused on the simple R1CS. Uh, so that was the arithmetization that we used uh, in that work. And then uh, after that, it's it's mostly the folding scheme that allows you to recurse. And the folding scheme internally uses a commitment uh, to vectors, uh, some, and it needs to be additively homomorphic, meaning you can take two commitments, add them into uh, one to get a commitment to the sum of the underlying vectors. Uh, those are the only ingredients that are necessary to construct uh, a recursive proof system. But of course, there's one downside. I allude to this in my talks whenever I talk about NOVA is uh, uh, when you produce a proof with NOVA, the size of the proof is proportional to the size of one step of the recursive computation. Typically, you don't. it's, it's going to be large uh, because you might have large step sizes. So what, uh, what we describe in our paper is a way to take that large proof and compress it into something smaller. Uh, and that step requires a general purpose snark uh, because we need the properties from the snark to compress this. You just mentioned this additive homomorphic property that it needed. I think in a in the episode I did with Ariel, I think we also talked about that. Like KZG, it has that property, right? Yes. 
So in Nova, we require this commitments to vectors that are additively homomorphic, and you could instantiate this in different ways. Uh, One of the ways we instantiated this was with Pedersen commitments, where uh, you have a set of group elements that are sampled, where uh, so nobody knows the relation, discrete log relationship between them. And now you can commit to uh, the vector using that. And this requires no trusted setup. Uh, but of course, I think you can also use KZG's SRS in place of these group elements to as a commitment to vectors. Got it. I want to ask a question. A word that came up a lot in the workshops that I was at focused on Nova was like IVC. I don't know if it was in the original Nova or later Novas, but what is that? Yeah, IVC stands for incrementally verifiable computation. So this um, can be thought of as a, a primitive that defines the notion of uh, producing a proof in an incremental manner, where the prover executes a step, produces a proof, and then it executes another step and takes the proof that was previously produced and updates it to produce a proof for two steps. Uh, and it keeps doing this. So this primitive defines this uh, uh, kind of proof generation process. Mm. And was IVC already in the original Nova paper or was that introduced later? So IVC, the concept of IVC was introduced back in 2008. Oh, okay. In paper. So NOVA is a way to realize this uh, IVC primitive in a more efficient manner. What was the 2008 paper, if you remember? Uh, so this was a paper by Valiant. Okay. Um, I forget the name of the title. Same. We, we always quote it as Valiant 08, and I, I don't think uh, people remember the title of it. Yeah, we can try to dig it up and put it in the show notes. Okay. So IVC is sort of what we're realizing here with Nova. And I wanted, I guess, to keep digging at the internals. How does the folding scheme work? Or what's the like main mechanism behind it? The main trick is uh, something that we see very often in the proof systems. Take a random linear combination of different things. So we start with two R1CS instances that has uh, their own witness vectors. And these R1CS instances have the same uh, matrices, meaning the same they're about the same circuit. Uh, now, if we take a random linear combination of these witness vectors, there is this extra cross terms that show up. So what the folding scheme does is it has the prover commit to these cross terms or the error vector first, and then the verifier sends a challenge that's going to be used for the random linear combination. Then the prover can combine the two uh, witness vectors and also the two error vectors using this cross term. And then the verifier can do the same, but just by using additively homomorphic commitment. So the verifier is doing some group operations to do this. So with this um, description of folding, there's also a, a similar thing described, which is accumulation or split accumulation. And I think there's been some confusion these days as to what these things mean or how do they compare. Do you have any insights there or any nice frameworks for us to place this back together? Yeah, I think uh, one way to think about folding scheme is it's a very simple version of a split accumulation scheme. I think it places fewer requirements on the primitive. Like all it needs to do is take two statements, combine into one. Uh, I think split accumulation captures even larger class of protocols. This folding scheme you described with the error term works for R1CS, right? And I think I've been noticing this thing where academia likes to work with R1CS, but industry likes to work with this sort of plonkish arithmetization. I was wondering if you had any thoughts and yeah, if that motivates any extra work. Yes, exactly. That's a great question. So we, we were using R1CS in NOAA. And then, uh, as you said, like everyone uh, building systems in practice seem to be using Plonkish yeah. uh, for writing circuits these days. So we wanted to, I guess, extend NOVA to support these kinds of uh, higher degree constraints. Is there a specific reason why people like Plonkish? Or is it kind of, a, you know, the, the mass is gathered around something and we can't move them anymore? If you look at the R1CS Plonkish, and there is also this algebraic intermediate representation or air. Uh, I think uh, they have their own pros and cons. Uh, for example, in R1CS, under some proof systems, uh, you can get linear combinations for free. Uh, but the downside is it, it's restricted to certain types of degree two constraints. And in Planckish, uh, these linear combinations don't exist, but there are other features like higher degree constraints, 
and also lookups. Sometimes people associate lookups with Blonkish, but they can also be done in all of the three. So there are, I think, pros and cons for each of these arithmetizations. In fact, uh, this motivated another work that we recently published right before Hypernova called Customizable Constraint Systems. So as we describe in the paper, uh, one of the motivations for this work was to unify all these different constraint systems that people were using in practice. And one of the observations that we made in this paper was there is a way to describe a new constraint system, but that happens to be a slight generalization of R1CS. And this generalization allows us to capture all of the three popular arithmetizations. And it can do so with almost no overheads or no overheads in most of the cases. And does that mean we can adapt the existing proof systems for R1CS to this new CCS? Yes, exactly. I think uh, that was one of the results in this paper, uh, besides describing the constraint system, was to show that if you had a snark for R1CS, here I'm talking about uh, non-recursive snarks, something like Spartan, which was originally designed for R1CS, Marlin, which was originally also described for R1CS, it easily uh, translates to uh, the CCS with almost no modifications. Uh, and then, because CCS covers Plonkish and R1CS, we suddenly get a proof system for Plonkish. Mm. Nico, Sangria, was that kind of doing that as well? So, yeah, Sangria happened so when Supernova came out, actually. Uh, I suddenly got very excited about folding schemes mm. and thought, oh, it's a shame that it's only described for R1CS. Can we do this for Plonkish? So I sort of literally copied the ideas, right? Like, oh, we take a random linear combination. <laughs> if it doesn't work, we put in an error vector. And suddenly we have this sort of generic way to do it for any kind of degree. I think CCS goes further in saying like, okay, here's how you would describe Plonkish in a different way, mm. but that is still amenable to being proven by things like Spartan or Marlin. So I guess I've now thrown in a new word, supernova. Uh -huh. um, I think that was the paper that came out after Nova, right? In the in the series before CCS, like the, we kind of skipped a step there. Uh, can you tell us more about Supernova and how it compares to Nova? Yes. So Nova, if we recall this uh, computational model, so it was executing uh, uh, same circuit at every step of the computation. So this this model is general, as you said. Uh, where we could encode the step of a VM as the circuit that's executed at each step. So it's general enough. Mm. Uh, but one issue is if you uh, try to encode a step of a VM and that VM has many instructions or many opcodes, then the size of the circuit is going to be at least the sum of the sizes of uh, circuits for each of those opcodes. So at each step, if you even if you didn't execute an opcode, you're paying for that cost. Uh, one extreme example might be, let's say you have a VM where there's an instruction for executing some expensive hash function like Ketchak, and there's another opcode that just executes maybe an addition or a multiplication. Then in the actual execution, if you're doing an add or a mo, you're still paying for this other instructions like Ketchak that were not even invoked. Uh, so our goal was uh, uh, what we call a la carte cost profile. Uh, where can we build a proof system or a system where the prover's cost is proportional only to the cost of the instruction that was actually executed, not on all of the supported instructions or opcodes. Uh, and this led to this work called Supernova. Mm. Nice. And so that is kind of tangential to the other axis, which is R1CS to more general R1CS. And then from this CCS, you build Hypernova? Yes, yes, it is uh, tangential and also orthogonal. So when the CCS uh, abstraction existed, one of the natural questions was, uh, can we apply this to NOVA? Can we build NOVA that can prove CCS? Uh, I think around the same time Sangria came out, uh, it was also using this error vectors or slack vectors. So we could do the same in CCS, where if we introduce relaxed CCS, you could apply NOVA to this relaxed CCS. But the issue was that uh, the degree of the constraint is D, then you need uh, uh, need the prover to commit to D error terms or order D, D error terms. So this, this was not useful because uh, there was another application that 
we have been working on called this uh, BDF, which internally executes a, a delay function. And this is a very simple function that happens to be degree five. Uh, so if you try to uh, represent this delay function in CCS, you can encode this degree five relation as one constraint. Whereas in R1CS, it's going to be three constraints. But because the prover is actually committing to D terms, it does not actually give benefits over uh, just using R1CS. So the goal in Hypernova was actually uh, to be able to prove CCS without requiring the prover to send this order D cross terms. And then comes the mighty sum check protocol, right? Yes, exactly. And so the sum check protocol was also used in the Spartan paper. So the way the Spartan prover works is it starts with some statement and it applies the sum check protocol uh, and then it ends with some claims about some polynomials and then it proves those claims using additional invocations of the sum check protocol. So this sort of made me think about um, using the sum check protocol uh, as a folding scheme on NOVA, which eventually became Hypernova. Mm. Mm. It, it's funny how this tool keeps popping up in different places. Does it have a very specific cost profile? Is that why it's so attractive? Yes. So, uh, so for example, if you look at Hypernova itself, so at each step, uh, the prover commits to the witness uh, the minimal thing it's supposed to do. And then to do the folding, all it's just doing finite field operations, which are much less expensive compared to uh, cryptographic operations. It's funny, actually, in the, I keep throwing back to that episode with Ariel, but at the very end, we talked about folding Nova. And then he had said that he had been like, some check protocol pilled as well uh, by Zach the same week he was Nova pilled. And we talked a little bit about like, would there be a way to combine it? And then the Hypernova paper came out like two days later, I think. <laughs> so because there you're using both of these techniques, but you're not using like, you're not using some checks all the way through. You're just using them in a specific place, right? So Hypernova uses the sum check protocol, uh, but it performs a single invocation of the sum check protocol. Whereas if you look at a, a full-fledged snark like Spartan, uh, in the main protocol, there are two invocations of the sum check protocol. And then Spartan also has something called a sparse polynomial commitment scheme where there are additional invocations of the sum check protocol. So if you compare Spartan with Hypernova, uh, it's doing fewer sum checks and fewer commitments. That's interesting. Actually, yeah, I want to make a quick correction actually to a previous episode. I think in the, I did an episode with Justin Thaler and I think I incorrectly added him as an as an author of that, but he wasn't. He said he told me that after I just like said it on on the air. So quick correction, Srinath, you were one of the authors of Spartan. Were you the only author? Are there other authors? I was the only author. Okay, well, I'm glad that we we get to make that correction officially on the Zero Knowledge Podcast. And apologies for for mixing that up in the earlier episode. No worries. So that's super interesting, though, that you had actually been working on the sum check work and then moved over to the folding, and now you're starting to combine them in Hypernova. Where do you go from here? Like, do you add more sum checks? Do you find new ways that they can be combined? If you look at Hypernova itself, if you look at the prover's work, I think it's doing somewhat minimal work, something that we expect the prover to do, commit to the witness, and maybe do some finite field operations. This might be a strong statement, but we, maybe we have reached the sort of optimal point in terms of prover cost there. Uh, but there are, of course, there are other uh, aspects in Hypernova that may be less optimal today. I think one of those is the lookup argument. I think this is an active area. There are already like so many proposals for lookup arguments in the context of recursive arguments. Uh, I think it's not clear what's the best one yet. So there's also this this protostar work that came out recently, which I think also proposes kind of a, a folding scheme using kind of sum check ideas. Are, are these related? Yes, that's that's another interesting work uh, uh, that came out recently. Uh, I think um, the prover is doing somewhat similar work. So the prover is committing to the witness, and I think it's doing a similar number of finite field operations. So the, both the protostar and hypernova prover uh, might have the same cost concretely as well. I think the paper describes Protostar for Plonkish, uh, whereas uh, Hypernova was described for CCS. And uh, there are some uh, differences between the two. 
in particular uh, CCS witnesses are smaller than Planckish witnesses by an additive factor equal to the number of copy constraints. So maybe there are some differences in terms of the witness commitment cost there. Uh, but I think one of the places where uh, Protostar does better than Hypernova is in the, the verifier circuit size. Uh, in Hypernova, we require uh, more hashes than Protostar. But in practice, when using snark-friendly hash functions, I think the, the difference might not be as much. Protostar paper also has a different lookup argument uh, than what we described in Hypernova. So as I said, uh, this lookup argument, uh, the topic of lookup argument in the context of recursive snarks might still be an open problem uh, where what's the best lookup argument in this context? You were mentioning in practice, does that mean there's plans of implementations for Hypernova? Yes, we do plan to implement Hypernova, provide a reference implementation for it in the near future. Yes, I think that's one thing that's been uh, widely lauded about Nova was the quality of the implementation. Mm. So really looking forward to a Hypernova repo. Thank you. There's two concepts that you talked about just now, and I actually don't know that we've really defined it. So we mentioned some check. You also mentioned VDFs, which we have defined in the past on the show. Maybe I'll start with the VDF side, verifiable delay function. Why is that connected to what we're talking about? Why do VDFs matter in this in this case of like Nova or accumulation? I, I don't understand why they're connected. Yes. So VDF, which stands for this verifiable delay function, the goal is to execute some delay function and also produce a proof that it was executed. And um, there has been a lot of work on VDFs itself, how to realize this. Uh, and one of the ways of doing it is to combine what's called a delay function. This is some uh, function that takes non-trivial sequential time to compute. Uh, one of the examples uh, is uh, what's called min root. And then take this delay function and combine with an IVC scheme, where at each step, the prover executes the delay function and also produces a proof that it has executed that. So when the NOVA paper came out, so there was a lot of interest in using it to uh, realize a VDF because it provided a, a less expensive prover than prior recursive snout constructions or prior IVC schemes. Uh, so this naturally led to uh, this joint project between MSR, uh, Supranational, Ethereum Foundation, Protocol Labs, and Filecoin Foundation. And there was a blog post about this uh, using NOVA and also I think Halo to, to build a VDF using IVC. I see. Okay, so this is more like using Nova for a VDF. Yes, exactly. Not VDFs within accumulation schemes or anything like that. Yes, exactly. That was definitely where my confusion came because I, I couldn't understand how it was used in that part of the stack. Okay, I, I now want to define, and we probably should have done it a little earlier, but like some check. <laughs> I feel like we've done a pretty good job of talking about accumulation of folding, but not really the sum check that we've now introduced. So what is that? The sum check protocol is a, a powerful tool. Uh, it's, a, it's an interactive proof. It's again a protocol between a prover and a verifier. And uh, it, it has this very specific interface where there's some polynomial, let's call it G, and then the evaluations of this G or some uh, space are summed together. So it's a sum of evaluations of G or some space. And the goal is for the prover to be able to prove the sum equals some target value T. And obviously the verifier can just take uh, the polynomial G, evaluate it over all the points, sum them together and check if it equals this target value T. But the sum check protocol provides a more efficient mechanism to do this check. And the only thing that it requires from the verifier is do some logarithmic number of operations and also evaluate this polynomial G at one point. Hmm. So, you know, Hypernova starts using sum check, but were there other types of checks being used in the previous works, the previous Nova works? So in the previous NOVA work, we would just uh, do this random linear combination and have the prover commit to this extra terms that arise called slack terms or error terms. And there was no need for the sum check protocol. I see. No, I think what you're going for, Anna, is how did we construct snarks before the sum check protocol was so prevalent? Oh, yeah. Fair. Um, 
And in that sense, a lot of the SNARKs that are popular today are using univariate polynomials. And so they use very different techniques and a whole different toolbox uh, where we like to do quotient checks. And that's something completely different. And from quotient checks, we can build uh, zero checks. And from zero checks, we can build other things. Similarly, in the world of multilinear polynomials, we can use the sum check protocol to check a sum. But checking a sum also allows us to check other things, like checking that uh, a vector is all zero elements. And so that actually reduces to a sum check. There's a lot of this little toolbox, essentially, that you can build out with the sum check as your core element. Yes. Okay. So actually, uh, if you recall, I had this slide in ZK Study Club. Uh, there were, I guess, there was a trilogy there, a different trilogy, I think. Uh, in the middle second stage, there were all these works like Planck, Marlin on one side. There was Spartan, Hyperplanck on the other side. Uh, so the second one was called univariate polynomials, and the first one was based on multilinear polynomials. Uh, so in all of these works on the uh, the multilinear polynomial column, they were already using sum check, and in the second one, they used this uh, quotient check uh, for the same purpose. Cool. We should dig that up and uh, add that video to the show notes. Since we touched upon univariate, multivariate, I, I kind of have the sense that are the multilinear polynomials allowing essentially more powerful protocols it feels like you know all these linear time proofers come from protocol based on multilinear polynomials do, do you think there is some kind of trade-off there or is it just like strictly superior yeah that's a good question i think um uh, so this multilinear polynomial sort of allow us to use the sum check protocol uh, internally it does not require doing any super linear operations like ffts or fast fourier transforms uh, which are also sometimes called entities so it does not require those operations. Uh, one downside, though, is uh, the proofs are logarithmic in the size of the statement proven. Uh, so, for example, in the context of SNARKs, uh, so the proof size is going to be logarithmic in the size of the circuit itself that's being proven. Uh, whereas I think the uh, schemes that are based on univariate polynomials, the information theoretic component, I think, has a constant number of field elements. Uh, so when you combine uh, this univariate polynomial-based techniques with something like KZG, you get a constant size proof. Whereas on the multilinear side, uh, even if you combine with the best uh, polynomial commitment scheme, you still end up with some logarithmic number of field elements in the proof. I think that's the trade-off uh, that exists between the two. One of them has a fast prover, but a log size proof. In practice, it might be small enough. But on the other side, you have potentially more expensive prover, but a smaller proof. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to touch on a few technical questions since I have you here and since I've been also looking at similar ideas. One thing is with Hypernova, Protostar, all these things, uh, the terms folding, multifolding, accumulation, split accumulation, simple accumulation all are all being thrown around. And um, I have my own opinions on how they map to each other, but do you have a, a simple framework for listeners who, like me, are very confused by all this? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Uh, so these different primitives, I think they're all uh, different definitions. There is a lot of overlap among them, and it can get confusing. So I think uh, a folding scheme in particular can be uh, viewed as a simple version of split accumulation schemes. So it's um, more specialized and also, I think, uh, more easy to uh, realize and also analyze in practice. Do you think that's why people have been latching on to folding recently more than these other schemes? Yeah, I think uh, the folding scheme definition itself is simple. Mm. Uh, so it just takes two statements, combines into one, and the... Uh, uh, the security definitions are also easier to read because it's focused on this very simple goal. Perhaps that uh, makes it easy for someone to follow it and build on it. Nice. Okay. And now slightly, I guess, unrelated question, but still in the technical realm. So we've been talking about IVC, so incrementally verifiable computation. How far can we increment? I know there's like some, I guess, theoretical debate on how do we prove these systems and how do we prove these things secure? Is the limit real or is it just our inability to prove further? 
I think it's uh, it's the latter. Uh, so, for example, in our proofs, we sort of assume or require that the depth of the recursion is a constant. Uh, this is the case in all of the prior recursive arguments in the literature. But I think there are ways to mitigate this. For example, instead of doing this linear uh, folding, where at each step you take the prior proof and fold, you could do binary tree folding. This way the depth of the recursion is kept logarithmic in the number of steps. And I think there are also other ways of getting around this issue where you use stronger assumptions about the underlying primitives. Uh, mm, okay. And when we say a constant recursion depth, do we have a number for that constant? Uh, I think this is something that uh, many people are investigating to establish concrete security bounds for these kinds of recursive arguments. Mm. So I think we're at the end of the interview, but I have a question. I sort of hinted at this before. You've gone Nova, Supernova, Hypernova. What is the name of your next work? <laughs> Where do you go from Hyper? Do you, do you go Goblin Nova? I don't know if you've heard of <laughs> Goblin Plonk, but... <laughs> yeah, the, there was a joke on Twitter uh, they suggested a name. I think if it was uh, Gamma Ray Burst. Okay. <laughs> ah, very good. So I, I had drawn up this little diagram, this little Venn diagram. It's the intersection of ZK, anything astronomy, and alcoholic beverages. Because ah. ZK and alcoholic beverages, we have <laughs> Plonk, and uh, I'm trying to wiggle in Sangria into there. ZK and astronomy, we have supernova, protostar. Astronomy and alcoholic beverages, I'm sure we can find many. There's, amongst others, a, a champagne supernova song. But maybe there's something unexplored there, right? The intersection of ZK, alcoholic beverages, and astronomy. Is that the next Whoa. paper? Or is it time for spices to make a comeback? Ooh. Because you had pepper and za'atar, right? Yes. So there was actually a long line. Pepper, ginger, za'atar... All spice, buffet, spice, pepperine. <laughs> okay, okay. We have we have a new little circle in our Venn diagram and we need to find all the intersections now. Yeah. It's so funny how some of these works, like if you think of the Poseidon, that was all the um Greek gods, I think. And then you have the rescue, which was all some superhero track. That's funny. Cool. So Srinath, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing with us sort of the story to Nova, to Supernova, Hypernova, some checks, folding schemes. Yeah, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, Anna and Nico. Uh, this has been great. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And I want to say thank you to the podcast team, Henrik, Rachel, and Tanya, and to our listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.